the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. Get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And here we go. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. This is The Bible Live. Next 90 minutes, we're going to be talking about the old book. 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And uh, what, what do you mean 1,500 years? Where do you get that? About written over a period of 1,500 years. Where do you it get was, that? The first book yeah, was where, written. Where do you get that? When did uh, Moses write the first? The, the uh, in the year 2248. Oh, okay. that's over 3,000 years ago. Okay, uh, by the calendar, the by, we by anybody's no, by anybody's calendar. That's the Julian date or the American, uh, the date, the calendar that we use. It was twenty-two forty-eight. Uh, That's when the Ten Commandments okay. were given. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, so that, if we go by that, well, that's you asked the, me where I got it, and I was trying to tell you that. that oh, that, oh, in other words, you want I, me to be quiet while you're explaining? Yeah, yeah, yeah give, give me a chance to answer. I, uh, I, I think the figure is based on the, the idea that uh, the uh, old that, that uh, Abraham wrote the uh, Torah, and it seems like it was about 1400 BC by by our calendar. That's when they the uh, they exited Egypt, and then they were in the wilderness the 40 years during the 40 years of wandering, and then of course you add that the hundred years, the first hundred years of uh, B.C., the first century, then that comes to about 1,500 years. 
Well, you know, I I found a happy way to get out of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps your Bible was written 1,500 years ago. Mine was written over 3,300 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, and 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 I think what the phrase is is the Bible was it covers a period of which which would not be true because it reaches back into to creation. And yeah, re- yeah. Although it, it's not the matter of time it's covered, but it is the amount of, the amount of time it was written mm-hmm. and covers. Uh, well, in according to using time, our American candle, what's mm-hmm. the name for the calendar we use? The Jerome calendar. What do you call it? Um, I don't know. Well, the I'm one sorry, the I one we know. use, uh, not the not the Jewish or the biblical calendar. Uh, Julian, Ju- Ju- not Julian, but the one John. What's the answer to that? What's the name of the calendar? What's the Catholic priest that did the calendar? The Catholic, the Catholic priest calendar. Oh, never mind. You guys are trouble. Yeah, we just don't know. Um, at any rate, according to the calendar that we use in America. It is called, uh, it is th- over 3,300 years ago. It was actually given at Mount Sinai in 2248. All right. Well, you know, I'm not going to argue about it. Maybe we have a listener that knows something that can weigh in on that. I, uh, I've i just kind of gotten used to saying that phrase. Really. You know, and, and I've always let that pass, and I thought, where's he getting 1,500 years? Uh-huh. Because according to what Gregorian? I've got, huh? Gregorian, Gregorian. after Gregory, there, John, remember that. It's called Gregorian after the guy was assigned by the Pope to do the calendar. His name was Gregory. And as an interesting segue, what, where did we ever get the idea about April Fool's Day? Uh, I don't know. Well, uh, John said watching Congress, which is humorous in and of itself. But it's actually because there was one country, because they moved everything forward from the from, it was the first to became the 15th in every country because of the Catholic Church and the Gregorian calendar. But there was one country that said, we're not going to call it the 15th, we're going to stick to the first. It's the first, it's the first, it was still saying it's the first. They were the only country. And so they became known as April's Fools. And it was the country of, yes, a drum roll, please. Thank you, John, thank you. It was France. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) And they were known because everybody else, when the first jumped it to the 15th, then everybody's on the same calendar except for France. And so they became known as April Fools because of April 1st, you know. That's where it comes from. Anyway. Well, that was a very interesting piece of information. Yeah. Uh, It says here, after 40 years of wandering in the desert, Moses died, then went inside of the promised land of Mount New. Rabbinic Judaism calculated the lifespan of Moses. Uh, 120. The death, 110. Um, the prophet, 120. I'm looking for a date uh, of yeah. here. Yeah. It says, um, come on. Now. What are you doing? Looking on the cal- computer? June the 14th, <laughs> night. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just Googled it. I'm just yeah. looking up. What is the uh, date and setting of Exodus? Um, uh I mean, you you asked me why do you say that fourteen hundred years? Well, I'm starting to think because look, Jesus himself was uh, is about two thousand years ago, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. And we know that the gospel, that the letters of Paul was were before the gospels. Uh huh. Then the gospels were written after the letters. 
So when the letters are referring to the scriptures, it cannot be referring to the Gospels. It's got to be referring to the Torah. Anyway, so um, that was within 100 or 200 years, let's say, of, let's say, Jesus. Well, that is 1,800 years ago. You got a comment here? Or are you just I, gonna... I'm still looking at that. I'll get away from that. I'll stop it. Yeah. Yeah, people can Google it. I can just tell you this. Uh, using our calendar, it was, I believe, 2248 from creation when Mount Sinai occurred. That would be over 3,300 years going retroactively on our calendar. And so, therefore, I say our, the American calendar, Gregorian, and uh, because Pope, cause Gregory was the one who ordered it. Anyway, so uh, if that's the case, that's a, that's a long time ago. You're right. Uh, and, and frankly, folks, I'm afraid you're going to have to. It's a big thing because evidently there is some. There are even theories that there was no exodus and that there was, you know, none of that. All that's made up and so on. Uh, I mean, the the number of different theories about the events uh, surrounding the exodus is. Uh, I, I guess we're talking about when Moses wrote, actually wrote down those scriptures and. A lot of the dating is you've got these different calendars. They've been switched and changed to match and try to line up. So I'll let folks look into mm-hmm. themselves. Well, but the, I'm going to keep saying the for the biblical moment, calendar, which, which generally the Jews use, it's not really a Jewish calendar. It's a biblical calendar. And this is the year 5779 from Adam, according mm-hmm. to the biblical accounting. So if we're using that, that's a different method. But anyway, there you go. Yeah, that's and, that's, and that's a different dating anyway because mm-hmm. when I say 1,500 years, I'm actually talking from from the time Moses wrote the Torah in the wilderness there, whatever date that was, which it seems like most are saying that's somewhere around 1,400 and something years or maybe even um, – some dates. Oh, no, maybe they're going into. I think we need some advice from from outside yeah. callers. There you go. Maybe John, help. when somebody calls, you can ask them. Are they going to tell us about dates or not? Yeah, well, that. that I'm that, not talking about the fruit. That, I, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. And of course, I know it's important. I'm not sure quite how important it is. Uh, well, it's not important in and of itself. I think what may be important is to not get it incorrect. Maybe. Whoa! I suddenly feel like Tim Allen on Home Improvement. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, like I said, the next 80 minutes are going to be spent talking about this. 80 minutes? <laughs> I said 90, but 10 are gone. Uh, we are what, In our reading schedule that we have classically, this is a time for, uh, remember last week we talked about those small, what they call minor prophets, uh, there in the Hebrew Scriptures at the end of the Tanakh. Uh, we have uh, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. Are, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi are the post-exilic prophets. And we talked about Haggai. We talked about Zechariah. Zechariah is called the major minor the major minor prophet because his chapter, what, 12, 14 uh, chapters long. Um, and we we talked about Zechariah to some degree and to, at some level. Malachi was left out because we we read it this week on Monday. And then uh, the book of the Revelation, we went back to the New Testament and picked up the last book of the Bible, the last book of the New Testament. Uh, and, uh, and what book would that be? Does it have a name? Fascinating, interesting. The book of the Revelation. 
Uh, okay, I, I bet Bob's going to have a comment on a dating. I, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and, and this is not a dating program. This is, yeah. <laughs> so so the, we, are, we did start off talking about the date of the writing of the scriptures. And uh, I, I imagine Bob's going to have an idea for us when we bring him up on the air. But tonight we're covering the book of the Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. Ah, yes, that book that uh, called the Revelation. Written at least toward yeah. the end of the first century. Yeah. Uh, and uh, According to your reckoning, that was 30 John, days ago. <laughs> the, the Apostle John uh, on the uh, on the island of Patmos, he was exiled, uh, and he had these series of visions and, and revelations from God, uh, and about well, about a, a lot of things. Yeah, it's one of the most fascinating books of the Bible, uh, in the sense of um, uh, one from Jacob's point of view. It's got it's a very Hebrew book, right? It's a very Jewish book. A lot of Jewish imagery, a lot of Jewish terminology, apocalyptic language, they call it, uh, that are taken from many of the, uh, the images and word, phrases taken from the Bible. How many times did you say it quoted actually from the Old Testament? It's either 230 or 240. Okay, it's somewhere around 230 to 40 yeah. times. Yeah. So it's a very, very Jewish book. Uh, the Apostle John, a very Jewish person. And it talks about uh, the big picture. It, uh, uh, and we can get back to that in a moment. But it talks about the big picture of God's dealings with humanity uh, and then how it's going to wind up, how it's going to end, how it's going to finish up. Uh, and it talks about these cycles of God's judgments and his dealing with humanity, with the human race, the angels and the cups. And uh, I forgot the, the, the third imagery it gives us uh, these different judgments uh, that something you've been you've always said. You've talked about these cycles that uh, in, in the Bible, these repeated cycles of God's dealings with people. Uh, that the, there's a time of judgment, then there's a time of repentance and restoration and and revelation. God reveals more of His plan more uh, to people through history. There's only uh, one redemption, one redemptive story, but there is it's rolled out in in history. It's rolled out progressively, and we get more and more revelation as we have moved through. Uh, through the generations. So uh, we're going to talk about the book of the Revelation tonight, but let's go first and to pick up with Bob and see what he is going to do to help us get straightened out on our little entry to the program, our little date, debate about the dating of the, uh, I guess we'd talk about the dating of the uh, exit from Egypt. Bob, you're on the line with us. What do you got to share with us? Hi there. Uh the thing about uh, uh, the dating is uh, you. Uh, the, most pastors say that they would prefer a married man to be the usher at the to uh, be ushers at the services because uh, they don't want a lot of uh, single women coming in and the ushers try to date them, so they. <laughs> they don't approve. They don't approve of usher dating. I think in but, general, uh, women don't like us dating them anyway. We don't. They don't want to know, let us know how old they yeah. are anyway. So that's that, that is true. There's, I guess there's some there scholar named Bob Usher. There's some, there's, some, there's, there's some scholar named Usher who uh, he has he he, he dates uh, certain uh, events in the scriptures and they call it usher dating. But uh-huh. uh, anyway. Uh, I I don't really have really studied usher dating too closely, but uh, I sort of invoke the uh, uncertainty principle 
uh, the, the uh, physicists tell us that uh, if you're sighting a heavenly body, you can find the velocity very closely of that heavenly body, and you can find the location very closely of that heavenly body, but you can't do both. Uh, the, the closer you get the location, the, the further off your, the more vague your velocity is, and, and vice versa. So they, they invoke something called an uncertainty principle, and uh, I think maybe we can get a window on Exodus at uh, 1450 to 1250. Uh, and uh, in, in other words, they call it everything a window or a, or a smear. Uh-huh. And uh, you can land on the moon, but you in the in the final analysis, you need uh, a Neil Armstrong or the astronaut to actually pinpoint the spot. You get him real close, and then he selects the the final. I guess they call it in, in the delivery business. They call it the last mile. Um, you have many last mile delivery services, and they're, they're the one who actually take it to your address and knock on your door and right. hand you the package. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I think we can invoke a uh, a window. And uh, there was a movie that I went to. It was one of those one-night movies, uh-huh. and the place was packed. I went to the Rialto Theater, and it was called Patterns of Evidence Exodus. Huh. And uh, it, it was done about four years ago by a gentleman named Timothy. I don't know his last name, but you can Google it. It's called Patterns of Evidence Exodus, and it's available for purchase. Uh, I, I, I There may be some, maybe some ex- excerpts uh, or some trailers that are shown on YouTube. And uh, it was very good. They believed that they found the burial uh, pyramid, which was just a tiny pyramid, of uh, Joseph. And um, they thought, they feel that like it was a movie project. And he worked with the uh, antiquities uh, department over in Egypt. And uh, he worked with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, is interviewed, and uh, Simon Perez is interviewed in the... In the uh, movie and uh tim mahoney Mahoney. and uh, that was him he was the director of the project you can actually buy that and and this is no problem not getting paid for them but you can get it at that uh christian store out in the the uh rim i see okay okay but you can get it i don't know i don't know the i don't know the name of it i uh i went to a regular theater i think i went to the rialto over there you can buy the uh, dvd Yeah, you can buy it. Yeah, you can buy a DVD mm -hmm. for about ten bucks. You can Google that patterns of patterns of evidence uh, DVD as well and find it there. Uh, And uh, they believe they found some archaeological. Go ahead. Did it have to do with the dating of the Exodus? Yes, it had some. It had some. uh, It it reached some conclusions. and I don't exactly remember what those conclusions were, but they were within my window. I know that. Actually, I, what his theory is, is that I am familiar with it. Okay. And, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, I own a copy. Mm-hmm. And it's very yeah. interesting. And his conclusions were that the, the majority of scientists are misplacing the date by 100 to 200 years. Because if we move mm-hmm. it ahead, then everything fits sequentially, which substantiates the dates of the Exodus. So that's what he's really driving at. 
And what's interesting yeah, he, uh, is I think today the only reason that they say the Exodus was at a different time was there was one woman archaeologist who was actually the daughter. Now, this is not in the movie, but I just happen to know this. She was the daughter of a very famous archaeologist, and she's the one that uh, spent several years uh, digging up uh, Jericho. Mm-hmm. And she said at different levels, these dates, because a carbon dating appears to be something. But if she, you... She was the daughter of a well-known... Uh, it was a British archaeologist. Yes, uh-huh. Yes, okay. And she's the one that. that actually set that date so everybody just accepts it. But the truth is, she's the only one, and that's where it comes from. But the truth is that uh, if you change it according to Mahoney's theory, and I think he's maybe right, but if you change it by 100 to 200 years, it actually fits everything sequentially. And... It meets with the ancient Hebrew dates of reckoning. Whoa, oh, Tim well, Allen that, says. That wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Uh, I, I, I want to say Mahoney thought 1450, uh, but uh, I can't really. But maybe he thought 1250. And uh, Yeah, but see, you're, you, if you say 1450, you're going from yeah. the beginning at Adam forward. And as I said, mm-hmm. uh um, actually, I think it was probably a little bit later at that, because if the Ten Commandments of Mount Sinai was 2248, and how I remember that date is 2 plus 2 is 4, plus 2 times 4 is 8. You see? Yeah, you got it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's, um, and I knew someone had a phone number like that. At any rate, um, <laughs> but... Um, so the, the things uh, that pop into your mind. <laughs> yes, but anyway, so, but it is an interesting movie, and and I I tend to think he's really got something there because it does change change the dates. But I do know that uh, about thirty three hundred years ago, uh, the Ten Commandments from our date going backwards. Now, if the reason it gets a little confusing. If when you know when you're going. No, a, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just yes, now yes. about. You're saying yes. uh-huh. 3,300 from now? From from right now backwards, yes. Well, that would put it about uh, uh, thirteen to 1,400 years before It would Christ. put it at 2,248. This is the year 5779. Oh, I see, using that number. Okay, yeah. okay, 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 sure. And okay, okay. Okay, so... And uh, it may not be right, but I'm not going to give up. I wasn't intending to make this a debate about the dating of the Bible. I just casually made a sentence. I've made a thousand other times, you know, written four, 66 books, written over a period of uh, 1,500 years by about I, I, uh, different authors. I think and here maybe, we got into this. But okay. i got to say, maybe those other books that you're talking about, maybe that does apply, maybe correctly, to the New Testament. So maybe that is over a period of about 1,500 years. Maybe that is right. For the New Testament. That wasn't what I was intending to say, but okay. Well, listen, um, uh, Bob, anything else to add? We appreciate your call well, tonight. Thank you. For well, Mahoney, uh, Mahoney also in that movie, in case I'll, I'll pitch it too, uh, mm-hmm. he, he does uh, go strongly into uh, Jericho, and he, he uh, moved the film company and the archaeological company to the Jericho site, and uh, he had his experts... Uh, put together some computer-generated uh, stuff. And, uh, you know, some people say, that, well, there was never a Jericho, but that doesn't preclude, that precludes the fact, or doesn't preclude the fact that they maybe don't have the site just perfectly uh, located. But uh, anyway, uh, he, he, he says, uh, no, I think the, he, he supported the Jericho account in the scriptures. Uh, 
And um, again, it has to do with archaeological digging and stuff like that. But uh, right. I don't know. It's a movie. I it's a movie I recommend. I I just still don't get Soapy. I still don't know why Soapy doesn't nail down a. Uh, I mean, I still don't know why uh, Jacob doesn't nail down a a, a year in the Gregorian. Uh, you know, if it's if it's in that fourteen fifty, or you, you think it's more like thirteen fifty, or something like that, Jacob. And what calendar, Gregorian? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, you know, B B C E C E. I'm not saying like. Go, uh, now you know you go when you go when what's commonly called B C or B C E. You know you uh, reduce it. As you move up to the A.D. or C.E., and so, but then when you start at uh, Anno Domini, or the Catholic Church's word for the year of Christ, we uh-huh. the Lord, that is, uh, that starts at year zero, and and so whether that's year two or six, whatever that happens to be, uh, that's so you go. The reason it's confusing because you count logically the opposite way that you do from our modern times. Like this is the year. 2018, and we went back to zero. But if you were going the other way, you'd count the opposite direction, and that's why, unless you're aware that, you get a little confused on those days. Well, you see, that's why the scholars use the expression. It's a Latin expression that you see sometimes. It's five letters: circa, C I R C A, and it means about. Yeah, uh, circa means about. And I, I was just wondering if we could get you down to a to an about. Of maybe a, a twenty-five year window there. What, what you think? Well, I'm pretty comfortable that it was given. The Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai on the year year twenty-two forty-eight from creation. Okay, so let me start doing the math. Not a calendar that. I, I, I'm going to start doing the math there. Twenty-two forty. Seventy-nine minus forty-eight is uh, is uh, thirty-one. Mm-hmm. And Matt, then, uh, he's really good with math. Uh, you should see how yeah, he so, things are. So, 5731 minus 22 is 35. So, so I think Jacob is saying it's about uh, 3,500 3, years ago. or. Uh, Bob, you can just Google this. If you'll type in the Hebrew date, I haven't got a computer for it, but if you type in the Hebrew, 2848 Hebrew, you'll come up with the... Yeah. the oh, 2248. Okay. 2848. 2848. 2248. Let's leave this topic. Yeah, let's, uh, Bob, we're going to have to go on because we got a lot of stuff to do. Thanks for calling in, though, Bob. Glad to hear from you. Our break is already gone, and we've spent the first segment here talking about the dating, which... It's not a problem. I don't have... I think we do. The dating is a, a topic that's legitimate and so on. Uh, I'm not prepared. There, there are a number of May I, I apologize for bringing up the issue? Right. Five different calendars that have kind of overlaid and that people use and so on. So... Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a great topic we'll be for another evening. Let's come back and we'll talk about the book of the Revelation, this last book of the New Testament that's so fascinating to so many people. And we'll talk about what is, what is the book all about, what does it teach, it, teach us, and what is its value 
to us about how we should live our lives today, the 21st century. We'll be back. You can call in 340-9585. That's our phone number. We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. God's power is at work within us. Hi, and welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading is titled Treasure in a Pumpkin, and it was written by Kirsten Holmberg. As a young mother, I was determined to document my daughter's first year of life. Each month, I took photos of her to illustrate how she had changed and grown. In one of my favorite pictures, she is gleefully sitting in the belly of a hollowed-out pumpkin I purchased from a local farmer. There she sat, the delight of my heart contained in an overgrown squash. The pumpkin withered in the ensuing weeks, but my daughter continued to grow and thrive. The way Paul describes knowing the truth of who Jesus is reminds me of that photo— He likens the knowledge of Jesus in our heart to a treasure stored in a clay pot. Remembering what Jesus did for us gives us the courage and strength to persevere through struggles in spite of being hard-pressed on every side. Because of God's power in our lives, when we are struck down but not destroyed, we reveal the life of Jesus. Like the pumpkin that withered, we may feel the wear and tear of our trials, but... The joy of Jesus in us can continue to grow in spite of those challenges. Our knowledge of him, his power at work in our lives, is the treasure stored in our frail clay bodies. We can flourish in the face of hardship because of his power at work within us. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, there's a place where all your Christian programs reside. All the best Christian radio stations live there. Find your local Christian station or look for one farther away that plays the program you like. ChristianRadio.com not only links you to the best Christian radio stations in America, like this one, but also podcasts of great, uplifting content designed to grow your faith. Find us now and download the app on either Apple or Android devices. It's the difference maker in your daily walk. ChristianRadio.com Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. The British folk rock act Mumford & Sons has released a new tune called Guiding Light. This lead single from the band's forthcoming album offers hope amid difficulty and encourages listeners to leave behind the darkness. Mumford & 
Howard and Sons isn't the kind of band that typically comes right out and trumpets, hey, everybody, this song is about God. But even a cursory glance at these lyrics makes that connection apparent. Guiding light brims with hope and perseverance as a weary seeker speaks to the only one who can draw him away from darkness and lead him into light and life. For a full review, visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Just a closer walk with me. Grind it, Jesus, is my plea. All right, it wasn't Elvis. It's not Elvis, but that was the Ernie Ford, Tennessee Ernie Ford, and some of the old timers have perked up. Oh, I remember that voice from so many years ago. That was back before the tenors. The high voice tenors took over uh, American popular music. Uh, he was. There was a time when the great singers and the great uh, yeah. vocalists, well, male vocalists, were, yeah. were all baritones. Well, that's because now men have to sound a lot more like women. <laughs> I knew you would make a point of that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was back in the era of the baritone yeah. and, uh, and uh, Tennessee Ernie. And who are, the, who are some of the others of that era? Uh, I, I guess... It, I, I, I guess it was probably the Beatles who brought, began the idea of bringing along the, the high-voiced, uh, the, 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 the age of the tenor, which we're still, uh, most songs now are pitched know. pretty high. You, know, you got the Jersey boys that fang, sang in falsetto yeah. and all that. Jerry, yeah, <laughs> way, way up there, Man, falsetto, yeah. Well, let's get back to our topic. We're yeah, talking let's, about let's actually talk about the Bible. Yeah, let's yeah. talk about the Bible here for a moment. Uh, uh, and by the way, folks, he did he he, he did come back around and oh, he said. Let's talk about the Bible. I just want to slip this in. <laughs> that Jacob has said, I was essentially right. It, it, talking from the point of view of our at least the modern calendar. So anyway, just so we know that uh, <laughs> the book of the Revelation, it, it, of course, a fascinating book uh, written by the the Apostle John. He he is. Uh, in exile on the Isle of Patmos, uh, and right, that's a, it's that little island off of a, is it off of Crete or it's not off the? It's boot, in that area. area. Yeah. It's yeah. in the Mediterranean. There, a little island of Patmos. He was placed there. And uh, here's an interesting question for you, since you're the scholar on oh, no, it, It's off of uh, off of the, between um, between uh, Athens, uh, Philadelphia, and ah, that realm. It's a little, one of those little islands off okay. of Greece. Yeah. Okay, here's a question. Why wasn't John put to death like the other 
disciples of Jesus. You ever thought about that? Why did he get leniency and get a prison sentence? I don't know. Do you know? I have a great explanation and theory. Oh, I'd like to hear it. Because his daddy is somebody. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, his daddy's somebody. This is the Peter James. This is the bro, it, J, yeah, uh, James yeah. and John, there you sons go. of Zebedee. That's right. So his, his boy didn't get killed. He still got sent to prison, but he got the leniency of not death. Because why? Zebedee was a Zeb member of the Sanhedrin? He was on the top level of the Sanhedrin. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, I do re vaguely remember this now. Yeah. You remind me of things that I used to know. Yeah. You remind <laughs> me of things I never do. <laughs> so uh, John greets the seven churches. And when he talks about the seven churches in the early book of Revelation, he's talking about these these churches that there were major cities uh, congregations had formed uh, in uh, Pergamum uh, uh, Theratira Sardis uh, Smyrna Ephesus Philadelphia and Laodicea and he he writes a letter to these seven churches these messages to them uh, ostensibly from from the Lord himself saying this is what I want to tell you this is what you need to focus on and a lot of sermons have been delivered about these different messages to the churches there of that first century and uh, and the lessons we can learn from them uh, and um, then he begins his series of visions uh, of worship in heaven uh, he sees heaven he sees uh, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor and power and so on. Uh, we get that's where we get that that uh, Thou has created, has all things created. Uh, thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord. We get that song from the Revelation chapter four, and he sees the door standing open in heaven, and he sees uh, the Messiah, the Lamb, and, and John tries to open this scroll up. Uh, and he can't do it, and he's powerless to do it, and it grieves him greatly. And he says, Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. And, and one of the 24 elders says, Stop we weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. There you go. Those seven seals, seven bowls, seven angels. They are, and the trumpets as well. Do you have these, these, uh, these groups of, of judgments that we're going to see come here now? And then starting in chapter 5, uh, the lamb opens the, the scroll. And uh, now he's telling them, he, back in chapter 1, he said, I'm going to show you things that are now and things that will be. That's what the Lord tells John in uh, the first chapter. And so we're looking at the churches of that era. Then he opens these scrolls, and uh, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lamb, opens the scrolls, and he breaks the first six seals, and uh, then we're off and running from chapter 6 on. Um, just majestic, beautiful, even, even if you don't understand it, it's so intriguing, uh, the vision that this uh, young, well, he's not young now. He's uh, they, We think that possibly he was up in, up, well, he was up in years now. John was supposedly the youngest 
of the, if I, some theories, that he was the younger, youngest of the 12 uh, apostles, the disciples. He was the one that Jesus loved, uh, in a sense. I think Jesus kind of took a special eye of care for him as being the youngest. Uh, whenever, the, whenever they had to get a coin to pay the taxes, uh, uh, Peter is evidently the oldest one. They only got two coins, Jesus and Peter. So they may have been the only ones over, what, 19? Is that the letter? Or 20? Uh, the age when they still begin to pay that temple tax? 20? Uh, don't go. You don't know. I know you have an opinion about that. But, uh, and, and that G, uh, the idea is that John might. Uh, Actually, what Jesus said was, I'll pay taxes in my father's house when you can get money out of a fish's mouth. <laughs> and they did it right there. No, they didn't, actually. Uh, uh, okay. I, 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 I get yeah. it. Let's not chase that rabbit. Okay. okay. Uh, so we're staying here in uh, Revelation. We see. Um, He's now an older man. He has these visions on the Isle of Patmos. And we see the lamb breaking the first of the seven seals on the scroll. And uh, and he begins to tell him the story from chapter 6, 7. Uh, Let me ask you a question about uh, these uh-huh. seven scrolls. Uh-huh. Tell me why there are seven seals. Do you know? Can you explain that? Tell me why first why there are 24 elders. Uh, the idea of the 12 tribes and then the 12 apostles, I think. Because the second ring of the Sanhedrin has 12, two from each tribe. They're the middle-aged men. The wisest and oldest are only 12. They're on the inside circle, 12, then 24, then 36. Isn't that, some say that's the reason, the idea, the idea of these 12, 24 elders is that you've got the elders during the pre a messianic time, and then the uh, the elders or the guides, the the authorities or the guides after the Jesus, the the, the disciples, the apostles, okay. and the idea is that to, they put them into twenty four. That's that might be problem. that might that's a good reasoning. Um, but, but you ask now why why the seven, seven seals and what what's that business about? Is seven is generally understood to be a number of perfection, if I understand correctly. But I don't know if that relates to the theme of the seals. Why then? Uh, maybe you can answer the question for us. No, I can't. I'm asking you. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, of all the books, probably Revelation is my weakest book. Mm, well, you're I'm better on it than you think. Uh, chapter 6, then, the Lamb opens the scrolls and the, breaks the seals, and he begins to tell the things that will be. And essentially what we're told through this period, you've got these trumpets, uh, these cycle, you have these angels, you have the uh, bowls, these are cycles of, of uh, God's dealings with humanity, sin and decline and wickedness, and God's judgment comes, uh, and then there is restoration, repentance and restoration and, and increased revelation of God that God gives to people and then moving forward. That, actually, it's a picture in some ways of the, of the entire biblical format that... I think you told me many times, too, from the Old Testament, from the Tanakh, that the theme was that you you see these cycles of God's dealings with mankind. And and as he increases, as mankind increases and expands around the world, that he, uh, that the message of God, the revelation that God gives is increased and he continues to reveal himself. But also... uh, he takes them through these judgments, these times of decline, and then there's times of repentance and restoration, and then, and then they move forward again to greater and greater. It kind of, to me, pictures, Jacob, I've, I've often thought of this, that 
what God did, if you look in the book of the of Genesis, uh, we see, and we and we'll be reading that book here uh, coming soon. Will be our reading schedule. We'll have us bring start over at the book of Genesis, chapter one, verse one. And what we're going to see is when God put things in motion and He established the general pattern for for the human race, is that. Uh, there was a creation of humanity. They, he told them expand, spread out, multiply. Uh, they didn't do it, and then it, it brought about, and they fell into a kind of lockstep, walking to sin and destruction, and uh, the whole human race fell uh, into sin and destruction and wickedness. We talked about, we've talked about Noah and the the, the flood, and and there was a. a, a, a uh, a judgment that fell on the human race, okay? Then Noah comes out with his wife and his three sons and their wives, and again they're told, spread out, multiply over the earth, and they don't do it. Again they don't do it. Uh, and it seemed like the intention of God there, it just seems like, was that people spread out over the earth, that there would be distinct people groups, that there would be culture groups, there would be different languages, there would be different life experiences. People in the mountains are not going to live like the people on the beaches, and people on islands are not going to live like people who live in the, the grain fields of Kansas, you know, in the, in the prairies. And so in the mountains, the prairies, the beaches, there'll be different cultures, different societies, different languages. And, and that seemed to be the design of God, uh, essentially because then, since the human race has fallen into sin, the sin nature has become a reality, uh, humanity would walk in lockstep to sin and destruction unless there was uh, there were competing interest groups that kept the whole race from walking in lockstep. In other words, the, the idea of diversity and diverse people groups served as kind of a, a um, mitigating factor on the sinful human nature of man and it causes human beings not to walk in lockstep to, to general or total judgment, but there would be small, small wars between this nation, that nation, this empire, that nation, but that the human race itself as a whole would be able to extend longer. And it, that seems to be the idea that and, and in the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter, what is it, 11 there or so? Yeah, 11. Then they are... The idea is that they are, he forces diversity upon them by confusing the language. And then we enter this pattern now where you have people groups, nation groups, uh, competing interests. And so when a Hitler rises up on the one hand, uh, a Stalin will rise up on the other to, to resist him. In other words, that e even though they might be two wicked emperors, they would serve as a check and a balance on each other and the sinful human nature within humanity and allowing the human race to continue longer. And, and of course, out of during this time now, this is about the, the harvest. God is calling out a people out of the human race for himself, out of every nation, every tribe, every language of the world. So that's, generally speaking, the pattern that was set through the Old Testament as the human race expands and so on. There are going to be these judgments, these constant cycles. It's not, but it's not going to be cycles like reincarnation where it just never ends or an eternal cycle. What we're told here in the book of the Revelation and, and of course, other places is that there will ultimately be an end to that time. And, uh, and what will happen ultimately, it seems like, is that the safeguards that God has put in place will be eventually torn down. In other words, there will be. You see even uh, all through this time, you see the enemy uh, the enemy of our souls and the idea of Satan and those who resist God's plan. There's this constant move to try to get 
um, the, kind of the one one nation, one one world government uh, again to get that established instead of these competing interest groups. And even today, there's this constant pressure, constant pressure to bring about this one world government idea. Uh, and it, it, it fails and it fails and it fails. It doesn't work. It never does. And it can't work with uh, the, the, the sin nature being evident and present in the human race. But um, everybody keeps trying it. Socialism, communism. Every, even right now, the Democratic Party seems to be really highly influenced by this idea of socialism. Uh, it, it has never worked anywhere we've ever seen it. Uh, but I, I think they keep thinking, well, the only reason it hadn't worked is because the right people haven't tried it yet. Uh, you know, we haven't, we haven't been in charge of it yet. But, but with the sin nature of man, it, it is doomed from the beginning. Soci- socialism just cannot work. But still, what will happen is we see that the barrier breaking down. We see the European Union. We see these alliances. And uh, eventually the idea we see in the book of the Revelation is there they do approach this idea of universal government, one world government. Uh, so th- here in chapters 9 and 10, 11 and 12, we see uh, these patterns of judgment. The seventh trumpet brings the third terror. You know, that's the third era uh, time of uh, judgment. And in chapter 12 and 13, you break away a, be- a bit and you talk about this beast in, in John essentially paints a picture here of the Messiah coming, the woman, the Can you child. explain uh, thirteen eighteen to me? Probably not, Jacob, but I'll take a peek at it. And kidding. the audience, they can listen to yeah. it. Yeah. In chapter 13, 18, and folks, if you have a thought about the book of the Revelation, it's a complex book. A lot of books have been written about it. Uh, maybe if you have a view or a thought, uh, then you can give us a call tonight. The book of the Revelation. thirteen eighteen says... Uh, the beast came out of the, from of the earth. Uh, he required everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here to let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. No, I can't tell you about that. But I, there are a lot of theories uh, Emperor Nero's name equals 666, the numeric value of the letters in his name. Um, they Remember the revelation was written uh, during and to prepare people for greater uh, time of persecution from the Roman Empire. And uh, using a common name uh, method of giving letters a numeric value, the Emperor Nero's name equals 666. Since Revelation was likely written after Nero's, Nero's persecution, it may be that Nero's name was so associated with uh, persecution that that would have warned the readers that someone like Nero would come in the future bringing great harm to the people of God. Uh, that's one thought. Uh, I'm sure you have another, though, don't you? No, the only thing I have caught when I read this is that it cannot be the number 666. Okay. Why do I say that? Go ahead, ask me why. Why do you say I that? I thought you might ask. Uh-huh. It's because it says, here's wisdom. Let him and his understanding calculate. Boy, doesn't that sound dangerously close to determining dates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll avoid that. It says, here's wisdom. Let him with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's a number of a man. That's a number six, six, six. So if you have to have wisdom and understanding, it wouldn't be so. It would just if you did, you don't need wisdom and understanding if it's six six six. 
So you got to do something with it. You got to have wisdom and you got to have understanding. So it's saying it's something else other than the number 666. If it's just 666, you don't need wisdom or understanding to calculate or determine. You see? Okay, but wouldn't you need the wisdom and understanding to know what the 666 means? He's talking about a person. He's trying to... He's trying to... It says a number of a man, not a name. Okay. And I know everybody likes to go back and go through names, but it doesn't say that. I even looked it up once in the Greek. It says no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, yeah, which was either... which was e The mark was either the name of the beast... Or the number representing his name. That's what this version says. Is that not an accurate translation from the Greek? Well, let's see what I got. It says, uh, you're looking at 17, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, That's the explanation of yeah, the, the number. number of the beast or the number of his name. Uh, that does seem to be some suggestion, but I don't know the answer. I thought perhaps you could help us. Yeah, unwrap the... Uh, Unscrew the unscrutable. There, there. I, I, there's so many. There's so many theories and understandings. I mean, the, 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 the interpretations of this book are vast. People have bring about theories about what the world is going to be like when Jesus returns, and try to kind of nail it down clearly. You know, Russia has this army, or China has this army of a million, and this and that, and tanks, and and uh, there's all kinds of interpretations. Um, I think, frankly, that if God wanted to know exactly what everything meant and exactly what everything that was going to be a reality as we come to the end of the era, the end of the age, the end of the world as we know it, I, I believe he probably could have made it really crystal clear to us. But instead, we have this uh, this symbolic language, these images, this uh, Old Testament, uh, you know, this apocalyptic language, and so on. We have this general understanding that there will be these judgments, these cycles again, as the world moves. But essentially, at the end, the um, and, and then he erupts it here in chapters twelve and thirteen uh, with the, the message of the redemption, the, the savior, the, the 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 dragon, Satan, who tries to cut off the lineage of the Redeemer. We have this this picture of something we've seen all through the Hebrew Scriptures. People trying to kill the people of Israel and cut off the Davidic line and do this and that. And and, and there we have the, the dragon trying to do that, the picture that we see in chapters thir uh, 12, 13, uh, 14. Then we come back, another event, and starting in chapter 15, seven angels were holding the seven last plagues that would bring God's wrath to completion. I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood all the people uh, who had been victorious over the beast in his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. I guess that's where we get the idea we're all playing harps and sitting on the clouds playing harps, I guess. They were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. And we have this... Uh, this uh, where are you at? What chapter verse? Chapter 15. Uh -huh. 15 okay. and, and I believe that's from Exodus 15, the song of Moses. Um, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. And so we see these seven bowls, the seven plagues, and then we begin this picture of how things will be wrapped up. How, In other words, it's not going to go on and on and on forever uh, that there will the creation... 
planet Earth and humanity, there will be a time when God's purpose will be accomplished. The last, uh, the harvest will be complete, and the last, uh, and God will call it to an end. This says the clouds will part, the trumpet will sound, and the Redeemer, the Savior, the Messiah will return again and establish His rule. Uh, on the planet Earth with so his So this people, is really so. the game of bowling. It's bowling, right? It's something like that. Yeah. You're talking about the bowls? Yeah, it's the bowl, seven, yeah, bowls. seven bowls. It's bowling. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, in, anyway, it's. I know I'm being um, overly simplistic, but that generally is what I understand is the picture. Which, but I don't. I don't buy into the idea that we can know when it's going to happen. We, I think we can see signs. Frankly, I, I kind of have hope that I'll be a part of that terminal generation, the one that sees the return of the Messiah uh, when Jesus returns. But um, we don't know when it's going to happen for sure. Uh, that's the idea. Now, we, we can come back take your phone calls if you'd like to talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on the book of the Revelation. I know a number of you have had courses, you studied through the book of the Revelation, uh, read through it or studied through it in your church and so on, and if any, you would like to call in and talk about not only the message of the book, but maybe in a way, wh- how is it encouraging to you? How has the reading of the book of the Revelation encouraging? There are several different uh, looks at it. Some people think it, it's, it's totally symbolic and there's no reality to it. Other people think that most of it was completed and, and fulfilled. Most of the pro- prophecies were fulfilled in, at the end, by the end of the first century or so. Uh, that most of it describes it was written to people in that era to, for them for them to recognize what was happening to them in this era of persecution and so on under Nero and others following them. And, and others take the long view that there are aspects of it that, that tell us long into the future. There's some parts of the book that were written that people at that, even at that era didn't understand and would not be understood until the, maybe the time of the end that we will discover it and understand it better. Uh, give us a thought if you'd like. Our phone number is 340, the area code is 210-340-9585. Tonight we're discussing the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation. We'll be back in just a moment. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Final segment tonight of the Bible Live program and the final uh, reading of the last book of the Bible tonight. We're looking at the book of the Revelation. Every year we uh, hope that we will read through the scriptures with you, that you'll follow our reading schedule, and that we can discuss through it as well here on the weekends. Hopefully coming up soon, 
Hopefully soon we will uh, we will be able to bring the Bible reading program back on the air Monday through Friday. I hope that you'll pray with us about that. And if you can help uh, financially to help us support by purchase the airtime here from this station, uh, it, we'd love to have you be a part of the program uh, with us and take on that passion and that uh, that vision to. Share the Bible, the entire Bible, every every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible. Read it through it. Let people in our great city and across South Texas hear the Bible itself. Uh, on weeknights, Monday through Friday, about 930 in the evening, as it's settling down for rest, uh, our hope is to be able to bring that reading program on a 15 to 20-minute reading every weeknight. And we make our way systematic through the, systematically in, through the entire Bible every year. Of course, we'll continue here on the weekend uh, having our summary and, and, and asking questions about the, the uh, chapters that, the, that we've read the, the week before and, uh, and discussing them and, and, um, and so on. But uh, the more important, Jacob has said it many times, it's the most important thing that can happen these days is that God's Word would become more and more known. We're in the prophet Hosea. Was it wasn't it Hosea that talked about the famine of God, the hearing of God's word, and uh, we kind of entered that period now, where that God's word is not known. This great book forms the foundation of the, and principle of, of Western civilization, and particularly in a special way, our own uh, United States of America. Uh, this book was very prominent. Uh, cited many times in the Federalist Papers and, and, and by the founding fathers. It was so many of the principles came from this book. A great example of that would be, Jacob, is that this whole idea, the sin nature of humanity, uh, as man has fallen into sin, that's why our our founding fathers put together a, a representative uh, republic, but also the whole idea that there are checks and balances. That's why we have these three... Um, in some ways, they're 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 coordinated, and they're they're all should be united in the sense of devotion to the welfare and the benefit of our nation. But they are three distinct branches of government that, to, in, to some degree, hold each other in in check. There uh, is no doubt. There is no doubt that America was established on what they call Judeo-Christian ethics. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, which talks about the idea of the sin nature of man is a fallen nature, so therefore we need checks and balances so that you know one doesn't know. I, I don't know in the Constitution, maybe, unless I can't think of it, where it talks about the sin nature no, in no, the Constitution. No, no, no. no, I'm just saying that 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 understanding, the biblical understanding yeah. of that, it fed into we need these checks and balances. I will. I will. Yeah, I'll agree and say that the uh, the premise of the Constitution is actually the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there is no doubt about that. In fact, in the Supreme Court on the wall, they have a picture of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments. They don't have him breaking them, however. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe that part they could take for granted. <laughs> we know we're good at breaking the commandments. We don't we didn't know how if God... It's important to remember that God gave them to us. But anyway, go. Any... Well, no, it's just it's fascinating to me that there's such a, a rebellion against uh, the mm-hmm. Bible, oh, the yeah. Judeo-Christian ethics, the Constitution, 
In fact, there's lots of people today that are so unfamiliar with it that they want to change the Constitution, and they don't really realize the scholarship of the people that put that together. Oh, the brilliance of our Constitution, it, it safeguards us. It's such a powerful safeguard for our democracy, for our... But, but, but people are... They've, they're losing elections, and so now, they, okay, let's just throw the whole thing out, you know, because we didn't win. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, we're at a dangerous point. But, it, but again, though, it points out uh, that whole idea that people are trying to throw, get away from these, uh, these principles that God points out in the Scriptures over and over again. Uh, it, but frankly, I've I got to say this. You know, Dr. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, early on, uh, my wife and I have been working with the staff of Campus Crusade. Now we're part of, still part of Campus Crusade with the military ministry, working with young men and women out at Lackland Air Force Base, the basic trainees going into the Air Force. Incredible privilege we have. Uh, this morning we had about 2,000 young men and women that we got a chance to teach the scriptures and encourage them and build them up in their faith and walk with the Lord. It's a, an awesome privilege that we have. But um, Bill Bright wrote a booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. As part of the staff of Campus Crusade, we, we were all trained about how to share our faith with others and how to train our disciples, those that we led to faith in, and grow them up. We had part of our discipleship process is to to teach them how they could share their faith with others, uh, how to share the message of the gospel. And so they had these four laws. And, and I used to understand the booklet, The Four Spiritual Laws, basically just as an evangelistic message, you know, uh, these principles. And, and, and what they are, they're very simple. The first one said that God, the Creator, loves us. That's That's it. God loves us, and he offers a wonderful plan, a design for our lives, okay? Just not, we're not out here floating, kind of just winging it. There's a purpose and meaning. And, and you see, if you take that simple principle and you expand upon it, it really, it's a major worldview. We're not in, in you know, forever in incarnation. We're not out here, the absent land, absentee landlord. We just popped up out of nothing, or that God created us and left us and and. And has abandoned us and has no no thought or interest in our the the way we live our lives. No, God loves us. He cares for us, and he he has a design and a plan. That's, I mean, you can see that it, it's more than just a simple little phrase. God loves you, small. It, it's a major principle uh, that, that the Creator does exist. That He lives. That He desires a relationship with us. He cares about us. Uh, and wants the best for us. Okay, then you come into the, if God loves us so much, why is it that most people aren't experiencing this love today? If we look around in newspapers or social media or online, I mean, the world is full of chaos and hatred and cruelty and suffering, and most people don't seem to be experiencing this great love, you know, that that would bring purpose and meaning and significance and joy and release uh, to our lives. Why is that? And it introduces the theme of, of, of sin, uh, rebellious and uh, willful human nature, that we rebel against God. Uh, either this, self, this self-will, you know, wanting what we want when we want it, how we want it. And um, so you, you, 
you see that principle at work. Uh, and the sin nature released in humanity that all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glory, God's character, God's perfection, and that we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. We need to be cleaned up. We need God to work in our lives. And so you can see that this the principle of sin is another major principle, but it's not just a point in an evangelistic presentation. It's a, it's a principle of life. Rebellion and, and sin nature, uh, every every one of us uh, have that self-will. We want what we want. It could be active active rebellion against God and God's principles, and or it could be just passive indifference to God and his, his will. So both of those are evidence of what the Bible calls sin, this self-will. Uh, you, you know my beautiful grandson. Will. I do. Yeah, he's he well he's he's playing soccer these days and he made his, his first name game. is Will. Will, yeah, yeah. And and you're known as Grandpa Way. <laughs> Where there's a will there's a way. There's a way. That's right. Well, he played his he's playing on his first little soccer team now and he made his first goal the other day. Miraculously, he actually made it in his own goal that that, that he was supposed to make it in. Uh he first time he ever got control of the ball, he started going toward the other team's goal, but it, it's so much fun to watch him. But uh, I was putting Will to sleep about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, and he's staying with Grandpa. And I was, you know, putting children to sleep. You know how that's, that is one of the hardest, <laughs> most arduous tasks uh, possible. Uh, children just have this, they don't like to go to bed. They don't want to go to sleep. They fight it like crazy. I don't know when we get over that. Probably Sometime, by the time we're teenagers, we got to get over it, and they can't get us out of bed, you know. But uh, but Will, I was putting Will to bed one night. We 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 read a book. We got two or three glasses of water for him. Uh, we tickled and played and wrestled. Uh, you know, telling telling story. We said our prayers together. I mean, you have to. It was about a, an hour long ordeal of trying to you know get him to ready to go to sleep. And so finally, I said, "Okay, Will." It's time to go to bed now. We've done all this. We've had all a lot of fun, but now it's time. So I go to the door, and I turn out the light. I say, good night. I'll see you in the morning. And I close the door, and I take one step. And he goes, Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. I go. I open the door again. What is it, Will? What do you need? He said, Grandpa, I want a glass of water. Oh, my. <laughs> I said, Will, you've had three glasses of water. You're going to float out of here tonight if we get any more water. No more water. You've had water. It's time to go to bed now. Go to sleep. Be quiet. Go to sleep. And I'll see you in the morning. So I close, turn out the light, close the door. This time I get maybe about three or four or five steps down the hallway. And all of a sudden I hear him again. Grandpa, Grandpa. I go back, open the door and say, what is it, Will? What do you need? He said, Grandpa, I really want a, I want a glass of water. And I said, Will, you've already had water. We've read our stories. We've said our prayers. We've had a lot of fun. We've laughed. We've played. But no more no more talking. No more water. No, time to go to bed. Go to sleep. Now, don't talk anymore, or Grandpa might have to come back and give you a spanking. Now, you'll see how much that scared him in just a minute. I said, I might have to come back and give you a spanking now. It's time to go to sleep. No more talking. So I turn out the light, and I close the door, and I walk on down the hallway. I get all the way to my room. I'm, I'm sitting on the, bed, on the edge of the bed trying to go to sleep myself and get ready for the night. And about that time, I hear Will cry out from his room again. Grandpa, Grandpa, when you come down to give me a spanking, would you bring me a glass of oh, water? Oh, how funny. <laughs> 
we want what we want when we want it. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a good illustration of that, and, and it's cute when it's you know a four. Here you go. When it's a four-year-old little child, it's cute when it's our, our children and baby. We laugh at it and we sort of. But when that self-will grows up and we start, you know, infringing on the rights of others and, uh, you know, taking other kids' toys and this, and it gets, and when that sin, sin nature is fully uh, matured in us, it, it can be downright evil. You know, we it, and that's at work in all of us. Every human being has that. And that's that second law, the sin nature, and, and the consequence of, of being then, therefore, separated from that relationship with God. And then the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, uh, that God has moved and acted in time and space to bring about, a, uh, to atone for our sins. In this atonement, we see it early on in the Old Testament. We see pictures of it. We see, uh, even from the book of Genesis on, we see constantly this this picture of God is going to solve this problem. He's going to make an atonement with a, the picture of the offerings in the Old Testament and the, and the sacrifices and so on. All of those uh, verbal, verbal uh, descriptions, but also uh, pictures, imagery of the redemptive plan of God. And then finally, the fourth principle that each of us make our own decision. You know, uh, just because our parents were believers doesn't make us believers. Just because they were not doesn't keep us from being one that would become into that relationship with God. Each human being makes their own decision. Now, I've pointed out that's that's the essence of of a very simple message of the gospel. These four spiritual principles that govern our relationship with God, but those principles are bigger than just a gospel presentation. They are they are principles that true that. That we can take and apply, as you've often said, Jacob, the, the, to the way we live here on planet Earth. They guide us in how we should treat each other. And once we are part of the people of God, then we follow the commands of God, and they 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 help see that God is overcoming that sin nature in us and helping us to. He's writing His laws, uh, the commandments, on our hearts and lives, and it's a tremendous process. But I guess what I'm trying to say here is that. The simple gospel is one thing, and a child can understand it and respond to it. But those principles are far more than just little childlike principles. They are, they are big, all-encompassing principles that that really do color and shape our experience here on on planet Earth as well. Now, I've, I've been talking a long time. Lee is on the phone and wants to come on and visit with us. I'm going to bring him on up. Hi, Lee. How are you tonight? I am blessed and breathing. How are you guys? We're both the same way, blessed and breathing. And I'm sorry I got carried away there with my little explanation, but we're looking at the book of the Revelation, and it does have this this big picture of, of God's dealings with humanity and these cycles of of, of, of revelation and then rebellion on man's part, then, then restoration and redemption and then... Moving forward, you see these all, they're kind of always uh, expanding cycles of God's judgment that we see throughout history, and the idea that history repeats itself. But someday, we're told in the book of Revelation, it'll come to an end. There will be a time when the, 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 the God's purposes are completed, the, the people of God, uh, the last one is complete. The one coming to the kingdom, and and we're going into a different level of a, of ex- this world and, and heaven and earth. This will pass. Pass. Uh, this world will pass. A new heaven and new earth is established. Uh, do you, I wondered if you had, part of your call or was it kind of talk to us a little bit about some of your understanding of the Book of Revelation. 
Well, actually, um, I could bring up a couple of things. I, I wanted to go back to your comment about our country. Uh, now, in Revelation 19.13, we know that Jesus Christ is called the Word of God. And we know that the Founding Fathers were drenched in the Word of God. For example, they based the construction of our government on one scripture in Isaiah, Isaiah 33.22. It says, For the Lord is our judge. So there you have the Supreme Court. The Lord is our lawgiver. There you have Congress, the legislature. And the Lord is our king. He will save us. And there you have the executive branch. And that was a critical verse that the founders used. The other thing I wanted to share is I recently heard a theologian exegete the salt and light passages in the New Testament. And if you look carefully at the Greek on that, it strongly advocates, Christ was strongly advocates the need to be involved in all aspects of our society. That means voting. Mm -hmm. That means if you're gifted and you have a calling, run for office. It means uh, being involved, because if you if you look at education, uh, yeah, and John Adams said this: the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. And then Noah Webster added, the religion which has introduced civil liberty in, is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. So uh, I know there's been a lot of leaning away from being involved, but Christ has called us to be salt and light. And this country was founded on, on biblical principles. So I just wanted to share that, share my heart on that. And it's become very important to erase that legacy, to rewrite history, to erase that that connection between the founding of our nation and the biblical principles. Uh, uh, I, I, I suppose it's important to those who would uh, take us away from those principles to deny that link. But um, it's there. If anyone wants to know the, the real history of our nation, that, that link is there. We are indeed a Judeo-Christian nation built upon the principles, uh, the worldview, a biblical worldview, uh, of who God is and what he's doing within humanity and so on. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Thank Amen. You. Yeah, if anyone wants to dig into that, go to wallbuilders.com, and you will find evidence after evidence of the necessity for us to be involved. There are, in fact, my research has shown, and the, the commentaries I've read is that we have several card-carrying communists in Congress right now. Socialism has never worked. It will never work. And we are in danger of losing our country unless we get out and evaluate the candidates according to the Bible. We have early voting starting tomorrow. And uh, vote uh, for those people who will reestablish us to the basic principles of the Constitution, which were founded on God's Word. Exactly right, Lee. Good. Well said. Couldn't say it better myself. I appreciate you calling in to remind us of that. It's just a couple of You're weeks. You're welcome, sir. It's going to be a historic election because midterm elections, the midterm of a, of a presidency, are quite often the, oppos- the op- op- opposition party makes gains. And uh, I know that um, there's a real heart, heart and passion this time to, to 
undo that pattern, that we don't lose seats in the House or in the Senate, that we're able. There is a the Republican movement. It's not it's not an ideal person. Nobody, we, we're not um, we're not <laughs> extreme Trumpites or whatever you call. Uh, I, I see just as I saw Bill Hillary Clinton a little bit. As I see them in the scriptures. Uh, you think of Ahab. You think of Jezebel. Uh, well, we've got this fellow named that ended them was a guy named Jehu. And I, I see, I see Trump looks a whole lot like Jehu. He's kind of a wild, uh, uh, loose cannon. Doesn't do things uh, in the typical traditional way, but but he accomplished. God used him to uh, clean the swamp of, of Israel in that time, and uh, get 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 them back on on track because uh, Ahab and Jezebel were pretty much. Uh, leading them off almost to the destruction of uh, the destruction as a nation, and uh, almost to the point of cutting off the uh, the messianic lineage as well. And uh, Jehu came in. If you want to read about him, he's in the uh, the book of the Kings there. Um, and I, I think that's what we're seeing. So this isn't about parties or an individual, but so much as uh, God seems to have chosen this failed. And yes. Uh, he's, he's he's not perfect by any stretch, but he seems God seems to be using this man to get us back on track and back to some of those those principles that that we that Lee was just talking about. So it's an important election, and uh, we all have to pray. And uh, I, I just I want to encourage you not to vote. Don't just go vote straight ticket necessarily. Think through. In other words, I'm a Democrat. I've always been in the crown. We're going to vote Democrat. Or I'm a Republican. I always vote. Think through. Think about what's happening and where people stand. And you know, I may. But I voted on very many early years of my life. I voted. I think everybody in Texas voted Democrat at one time when I was growing up in college and all. And and then uh, it has just really swung. Uh, as Bill, as Reagan said, you know, the, I. I didn't leave the Democratic Party. They left me and so on. That seems to be kind of what has happened with uh, uh, men and women down here. But you'll make your uh, your opinions and your make your decisions based on the truth and the principles of God's Word, which, which direction we were headed. Uh, and um, I, I'll prayerfully do that. It's going to be a very interesting, interesting election. Uh, are we going to turn the tables? Are we going to not... Repeat the pattern of, of uh, you know, turning away from the, the, the president's party during the midterm? Or are we going to have this historic reaffirmation of of, uh, of uh, that Trump and the Republicans and the direction they're moving as opposed to uh, the, the um, Democratic Party and where they seem to be moving? What do you think, Jacob, on, on that? Are you, I know you're following this, and what do you think is going to happen here in two weeks? Is is it going to be a reaffirmation, or do you you kind of expect a? I don't. I don't. Have, I really don't know. Yeah, it's real hard yeah. in it. Yeah, I kind of sense two? it might be a huh. Did you want to take a line two? Or? Yeah, I do. Uh, who is it on line two? I, I, let me get that name down for sure. Jerry. Oh, that's right. Jerry's on the line with us. Hi, Jerry. Good to hear from you. Are you there with us, Jerry? Oh, I talked too long, didn't I? Messed up. We've got to get Jerry back on the line. Give us a call, Jerry. We'd love to hear what you had to say. Well, our time has just right, got up as well. Gone. Well, that's uh, we tried to cover 
the book of the Revelation. It, it's a, it's mysterious. It's not super easy uh, to understand, but it is a picture. It just a, the, this is the pattern that we're going to see, and and we and it's we see it all through history, and we're seeing it even in our world today. But the time, there will be a time, an end. Uh, God will someday or other re- accomplish His purposes. The curtain will be drawn, and we'll begin a new. Uh, era of existence as human beings, uh, the people of God going to be with our our God forever, to be with Him, drawn into that perfect love relationship with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and with each other as God's people, uh, living in that era, in that perfect harmonious relationship with our God and the rest of His people. What do you got to say for us? Uh, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. See you next week, folks. It is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on the The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.